थ्री टू वन वेलकम एवरी वन टू एस यू कैन सी एपिसोड टू ऑफ सीजन टू इट्स एस सीजन वन यूर एज एन इट रिमूव दैट शेट वेर इन सीजन टू राइट नाउ See what bad preparation. Anyways, let that not be there. I'm going to Photoshop a two over there because anyways it's going to be uh, still. So, welcome to episode two of season two with my homie Aditya Bharadwaj. Um, before I introduce Adit- Aditya Bharadwaj or get him onto the podcast, have him say hello to everyone. I'm just going to introduce what today's premise is going to be. Um, and what you can expect as part of today's podcast before that i hope you have a cup of something nice that can keep you company through this podcast as i always ask you to because this one's going to be a long one doesn't matter what you have even if it's a joint i don't mind where's my joint anyways so today the premise of today's podcast is going to be um like i was just telling aditya just before we jumped um just before we jump on to the podcast i told him that we're not going to be talking about textbook knowledge but we're going to be talking about knowledge talking about the things that we have knowledge of being in the shoes of and that's with me and aditya i think we have a long history of going back at least about 7 years i met him when i was 17 that's the first day of college um if i have to introduce how our how our friendship has been i think it's always been very competitive uh not in a competitive in a bad way but in a good way because the first time that we chilled together it was part of something called toastmasters club where i beat aditya by one vote i still remember that <laughs> and after that our conversations have always been focused on religion so aditya was someone who helped me um wake up to more than just atheism but looking at religion from a more diverse intellectual intellectual again not a for intellectualism but from an intellectual point of view and then Adi and I also worked together in advertising for a year. We were part of the same company, uh, which another senior of our founded. So we go back in in terms of professionalism as well, in terms of our professional careers as well, and also of course we connect on two things, three things, a few things that are very important to us. One is freedom as an individual, as a man, which is I think to Aditya and myself very important, at least for Aditya on a global scale on. how you stand as a man in in the universe in the world today and secondly something that adi and i very strongly connect on is movies or films or looking at movies and tv shows as and as more than just 40 minutes spent looking at a screen but observing it from study as a more than just a movie and that again goes back to college because we studied film together so again bringing aditya on to today's podcast what's up adi really really nice to have what's you here what's up what's up Yeah, nice to see you getting your podcast going. It's on season two now, so yeah, I'm surprised and rather impressed. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I hope you have a cup of something nice to keep you company, keep your throat company. If not, then you can. Just yeah, take I have a water break. for now. Sweet. You know my throat is extremely sensitive. If I drink anything, then I'll sound like Darth Vader. So Farhan Akhtar. Hmm, that's my default voice. <laughs> so um. Adi 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 doesn't like it when I call him Aditya, but I'm just very used to calling people Aditya. So to anyone who's listening, if you have any friends named Aditya, and if if you if you are named Aditya, I'm pretty sure nobody calls you Aditya. You're usually just Adi. So it's really weird, especially if you have a friend you've known for a long time. Imagine your name is Siddharth. Usually you become Sid. 
and somebody keeps calling hey siddharth siddharth i'm pretty sure you'll be like dude i can swear right yeah you can you can yeah we're like shut the fuck up man my yes, name sir. is you call me sid so just call me sid so it's really strange that he calls me i'm here's aditya and aditya is here to talk about this and that i'm like bro <laughs> nobody Chill. calls me aditya not even Chill. my own parents <laughs> chill speaking of parents how how are your folks no they're fine been sort of mentally exhausted sitting at home because of the lockdown hmm cuz dad had a heart surgery last year so he is susceptible clinically so to speak so he has been locked up at home I mean, he goes out here and there goes out for a walk but I mean, it gets to you dude sitting in the house Absolutely. for a very long time totally totally i can totally understand that i mean especially if you <clears throat> unlike us where we get to hang out with our friends at least on instagram they might not be so much so if you know what i mean oh weirdly enough they've adapted they I mean they're like zoom calling video whatsapp video calling their relatives and i have a lot of nephews and nieces in uh, the us so all my basically my dad's siblings children yeah so every day they ring up and then they're enjoying baby talk on the video call and then they call me to join in and you know how i am with kids so i'm just like hello there and the kids like who the fuck is this guy and i have an awkward pause i wave and i leave that's what happens every day now <laughs> i can't understand that oh man yeah i remember i i know you're not you're not very you're not one of those uh, hi you're not one of those people at all so i can totally understand okay i have a quick question for you you don't have to answer this i'm going to ask you this anyways um this is kind of going to set the premise of how open and honest and transparent today's conversation is going to be you mentioned you have dad siblings and their kids in the us did you at any point of time wish i wish i had grown up in the us or anywhere abroad outside all, of india all the time <laughs> what's what's uh you want a short answer or long answer yeah uh, you can give me a long answer we don't have a hard stop right you don't have a hard stop right no okay you can take your time okay, the okay cool answer. i'll give you the long answer <laughs> i'm pretty sure a lot of bangaloreans may relate to this because so me and you we both studied in english medium schools uh you did icsc too right yeah yeah ryan was icsc so was cotton so if you're from ryan cotton's josephs baldwins safaris you know malayaditi and all these schools mm-hmm. all of us were english educated primarily like before i learned consonants and vowels of my own mother tongue i learned a b c d e yeah i i studied in a british school so culturally somehow i've always been I mean my brain is in greenwich mean time so i i relate more to english culture more to american culture than i do to indian culture i mean i did read mahabharat and ramayana and all of them growing up but again that was all in english so it was an anglicized because, version of those texts yeah i mean it's every precisely yeah it's all anglicized so uh right now since i'm in the film business or start trying to get into the film business full time i am an indian who can speak write read proficiently in english but can't do so in any other indian language because as a south indian i studied hindi as a second language and that's because most of our parents were like you know what he'd probably go up north for a job and if that would ever happen he needs to know hindi 
that was why they did it so growing up in bangalore i didn't study kannada like we can speak a little bit because we interact with people in the city but i didn't study kannada literature i didn't study tamil which is my mother tongue and the hindi we studied we sort of like took it like banadril every day i still remember in school like none of us spoke hindi yeah see even the north indian guys would be like fuck dude hindi today because even the north indian guys who were born brought up in bangalore i mean not indian origin culturally but who were born and raised in bangalore are culturally bangalorean so correct so i think about it all the time i'm like man if only i was born in the us or the uk it would be so perfect and it i mean even in terms of the stuff we like the stuff we like to watch and yeah. everything else india is not at that level yet so it's extremely frustrating when you watch shows like the sopranos the wire and mad men and these kind of shows and you're starting you you want to write your own shit and then you realize that no the indian audience is like 40 40 years behind they need kapil I mean, sharma I, i mean there is I, i guess there's a critical mass who watch the stuff but they're not enough in number that a producer would put big money on your project you know what Got i mean it. yeah so it's not enough to be commercialized the short answer to your question is hell yeah all the time <laughs> if you had to choose if you now that you are what 26 27 i'm guessing 27 turning 28 next april perfect so 27 turning 28 next april i mean i'm think i think you are well read and um well aware of the world and different cultures and where would you have liked to have been raised and in what era no, don't get me wrong don't get me don't get me wrong i love india absolutely I absolutely. absolutely love india yeah that's not a conversation we're not having a conversation of india is bad yeah. it's just a conversation of if we could have probably been born somewhere else where would that have been that's it if not india england i think what time where any any certain any um i can england right now i mean are you saying born as an englishman or as an indian born it's you with your parents but in another place born being brought up there so you were born 92 i am guessing right 91 92 93 93 yeah so you were born in 1993 in england that's what i'm asking Mm, that would have been a tough life, actually. I'd I'd much rather be born now in England. With the Mohammeds all over the place. But ninety, yeah, but ninety-three. <laughs> it's a bad joke. <laughs> no, it's a good joke actually. Ninety-three, uh, yeah. If any country, possibly England or maybe the United States, probably New York or Los Angeles or one of the places which were more racially sensitive. Okay, it's a good. That's a good. It's a good insight. I mean, yeah, I get. I get yeah, where you're coming from. Yeah. And it's the same. Same goes for me. At times, I wish. Uh, I definitely wish you know I was born in in maybe the US or in the UK. And I think a lot of it has to do, like you very rightly mentioned, with the fact that we grew up reading more Goosebumps than we did Tinkle, right? So we 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 grew up reading more Famous Five than we did Tinkle. or amar chitra ka tha at least for us i would say for me myself at least i did more enid blitton and more famous five secret seven how the british kids would grow up how they would go to school and you know having summer yeah, holidays exactly. and riding a bike and having a picnic and i'm like 
This is uh, I was in Bombay from 95 to 2000 it was in English cartoon network primarily fair enough maybe, maybe you could choose a language setting or something yeah i'm guessing that that was a probably a choice that's nice i like how we have set the premise of today's conversation being brutally honest like no pretense no i love my country i love india it's awesome i like that you've set this premise so now now i'm going to ask you the first scripted question of this interview or the first uh, main question is um So I want you to tell the people who have joined us what you've been up to for the last one year um, in terms of. So I would this I would like you to ask answer this question in a four dimensional way. One is what you've been doing professionally, what you've been doing psychologically and philosophically in a mindset, like how your mindsets have evolved, what you're doing in terms of your hobbies and your pursuits, and what are the new interests that you have. So if I have to just repeat those four four pillars that I'd like you to take a look at while answering this. first one is how your career or what you're doing work wise your mental we'll state one one. yeah let's go one by one the first one is what you've been doing work wise for the last one year work wise so basically i work for a production company in bangalore uh, run by saad khan who's a filmmaker here who's some of you might know he made humble politician nagraj is a popular kind of nagraj nagraj yeah danish said um He's also made a film in the United States, which was on Amazon Prime for a while. So I've been working with him, and for the last one year, my work primarily revolves around coming up with movie premises and show ideas and developing them. So, much like an ad pitch, you develop a show into something called a show bible, which is like a presentation of what your story is about, who the characters are. what is the scope of the show so that you could pitch it to somebody so our company right now is owned by a mumbai conglomerate called rainshine they own a lot of production houses okay uh, us being one of them and they help us sell shows to netflix to so their distributor amazon prime yeah sort of so they would get us into rooms also vet content that we're producing and they help us sell it essentially so that's what i've been involved in primarily uh i was uh, briefly involved in the new humble politician agraj season which will premiere on amazon prime shortly then some delays i think yeah so that would be my i'll be getting my first screenwriting credit it's a minor credit but nevertheless a credit so i can officially say now that i am a professional screenwriter not yet but when it comes out when it's confirmed <laughs> and i've worked on three other to two other shows one which we are pitching right now and another one which i can't talk about for obviously legal reasons but we came very close to selling it to netflix oh is very close to them they showed a lot of interest but because of reasons that i can't disclose <laughs> actually i can yeah because it was an army related project and netflix gunjan saxena had gone yeah gunjan saxena had gone into controversy right Who's Gunjan Saxena? It was a movie about a female army officer, and the movie had gone into trouble because some army guys were offended. 
So Netflix said we're really interested. This guy, this uh, what's her name? Shri Devi's daughter played Delhi, Janvi Kapoor. Ah, the Cargill girl. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Gunjan Saxena, the Cargill girl. Ah, the Cargill girl. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> nice. So that's since that got into murky waters. Uh, Netflix, like you know what? It's karma. Army it's stuff, not right now. Yeah. Ah, that's yeah, but we're working on some stuff. It's interesting. interesting. Are you working on anything of your own? Yeah, I have ideas which I have been procrastinating on. <laughs> I've not really got to it, but yeah, there is an idea that I have which I'm unsure of whether it'll be a movie or a book. I think it's a pretty cool idea, but I have a vague premise and a setting, but I don't really have the story yet. So I've been mulling over it for a few months. Is that going to be? I'm coming. Is that going to be your LOTR? No. Fiction or non? Fiction or non-fiction? Um, it's fiction loosely based on real life. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, but no, no. I know where you're where you're coming from. I do. Want to create a series, like I want to build a world of my own, and that will happen because I've been fascinated with that stuff forever. Growing yep. up with Harry Potter, Game of watching Thrones. Avatar: The Last Airbender, Game of Thrones most recently, but Avatar: The Last Airbender, Percy Jackson. I've always been fascinated with worlds and creating my own world. Mm-hmm. Something set in ancient India, so yeah. Oh, nice! Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. I can see. I can see. Yeah, I can see it on the board. So that will happen eventually, but not now. I don't have a solid premise now. But having said that, I'm procrastinating. I need to get serious and start working on it. Do you think if you gave yourself a deadline, saying I'd like to have a draft of something ready, at least thousand words or maybe thousand, hundred pages by maybe next year December or next year? Your birthday is April twenty first, if I'm right. Twenty second. Twenty second, right? So one day, April twenty second. You tell yourself, "I want to have a hundred page draft ready." Is that something that challenges you, or do you think that's not something that drives you? Um, maybe I don't know. It could work, but when you're writing for yourself, you just really need to want to tell the story. So you get to work on it every day because you really want to. I think if you said deadlines. I think deadlines work when you're working in an office space and you don't. Truly care about your work, like you're partly doing it for a paycheck. So then a deadline helps. You're like, yeah, okay, I need to get this shit done. And then a deadline helps. Hmm. I mean, that's that's for me. You know, it depends from person to person. Yep. I really I look forward to 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 at least being an inspiration for one character in in your universe, even if it's a loosely based character. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, most certainly. because i know that most world builders are inspired by people in their lives or at least you know develop characters who are loosely based on people yeah yeah lives, pretty much every every storyteller steals from people they know yep i mean i can it's it's not stealing but yeah <clears throat> yeah it's not stealing it's not stealing you're developing something of your own so here's where i think um let's do this let's okay, answer wait. this question So and then, professionally, I'm done. So we have yeah. other points. Yeah. Let's answer this entire yeah. question and then come back because I have like so many questions to ask you right now. I want to ask you about Game of Thrones, what your thoughts were, world building, and how you'd like to build tropes using uh, tropes on a regular, etc. But yeah, let's answer the three questions, the three remaining pillars. So the first one you've answered, what you've been doing professionally. Um, uh, second, okay, this is where I'd like to ask you another question. 
since you and me worked in advertising for a year you were a copywriter do you have no plans of ever going back no i'd like to do advertising work i mean it's storytelling after all and it's good money but uh i have to specialize in something that's what i realized because when i first started my career we were at pink lemonade and we worked there and we did different kinds of work yeah then at virality i did more digital social media kind of work but ultimately at when you are 35 you want to be known as a specialist in something correct so what i figured out because of my journey in screenwriting and first draft which i'm hoping we'll get to later yeah we will definitely um, yeah what i realize is this is a skill that i'm naturally good at that i naturally have and that can distinguish me from somebody else or for most other people creating concepts which for is, tv shows or scripts or creating no which is story writing which is storytelling which is screenwriting which is writing a uh, long form storytelling content for the big screen or big screen is for cinema but for tv platforms got it something in that broad range got it i understand what you're saying so obviously advertising is a part of it i think most many screenwriters and filmmakers started advertising mastered it and then moved to screenwriting anyway correct uh so yeah i mean i'd love to do advertising but i don't know if i do a full time job but you can never tell man because getting uh, regular paid work in this field is rare like i am in a very lucky position because a company like this that i'm working for exists and it's funded so i get a monthly salary and yeah all that's there but opportunities like this rarely exist you know, my friends in bombay are going on paycheck to paycheck these are friends you made as part work. of first draft first draft yeah yeah and i'm pretty sure most people in the film business work that way which is something i don't think i can do like i need the comfort of knowing that my basic bills are taken care of because working project project something i don't think i can do so sure to answer your question yeah i'd love to get into advertising i'd love to do work on the side but right now i'd like to specialize in screenwriting and learn more and become like a professional with some amount of experience where i myself am confident that yeah i have some value to contribute on my own now once that happens yeah sure so maybe again just to just to again brainstorm on on this because you know we love just brainstorming on stuff like this would you see yourself as maybe spending 5 years specializing in um screenwriting and then coming back to maybe advertising because you realize that there is a dearth for good ad film writers in the digital space and you see yourself fitting in there um to be honest i don't know i don't think that far ahead uh i think in like one or two year cycles that's all got it my my broad target yes at what would i want to be post 30 as a professional is somebody storytelling that could be for ads that could be for uh long form content having said that we have done ads even with sad i conceptualized an ad for jerry gone mad sugar cheese crackers ah okay uh, okay okay ha uh-huh. yeah those are amazing i wrote three ads yeah i wrote three ads for quick ride which we produced with uh, actors from uh, what's that thing filter copy ah nice so we shot in bombay shot three ads 
more mostly focusing on their value uh, value and services like each ad focused on one specific usps and stuff value like that value ad yeah one us yeah stuff like that so Go yeah ahead. i'm working on ads so it's not a problem i But get it to be honest the ad agency grind is something i know that i will get frustrated with over a one year one year two year period mm. that it just gets to me because um uh, obviously no job is ideal if you think back to all if you think back if you look back pink lemonade was like fantastic <laughs> if you think look back obviously no company is perfect and we had things that bothered us even there yeah but when you go outside and you you see how other agencies function you're like my god pink lemonade was amazing but the forget how the company functions this the people you work with yeah at least in the copy team i mean i i haven't actually met or worked with colleagues of that caliber and that that many in number anywhere else and to have a team working in a team of 9 10 people all of whom are really nice people and also supremely proficient at their jobs yeah i haven't come across that since pink lemonade yeah i think jasminder did a very good job of keeping that quality control yeah I mean, she knew yeah she knew to, and isaac and other people like arvind everybody actually even the ones that joined after we were there yeah it it felt like you know people are contributing to something as a nice camaraderie there which so even and even that got to me eventually i was like man i can't go through this crazy cycle every single day and like five days a week with 10 days of leave in a year and i followed my gut and it landed me where i am now which i guess is the right decision because of first draft and everything else but yeah why don't you I tell don't us know. a little See, bit about first draft tell. yeah okay i get to that i'll just finish yeah, yeah yeah having said that you can never say okay if something in the film business doesn't work out and i need a job that pays then i'll probably get into advertising and figure out a way to adjust to the cycle because that's what pays my bills so that's you what can, gets that you can pay. never yeah you can never really tell what about becoming uh, the boss of something of your own which gives you the freedom to travel i mean why i'm bringing that up is cuz i again these are sand castles in the air i haven't really built a plan around it but i see this podcast as something that will give me the financial and professional freedom to do things that i want to do and make the make money out of it at the same time so do you probably see yourself doing something wherein again just painting sand castles in the air uh maybe you could be someone who's really known for being a screenwriting consultant or maybe a advising screenwriter or like an executive producer type who gets invited across ad films and normal films to just consult on script and script ideas and sure i mean i love that but to become a consultant at least if i would want to be a consultant you have to do that for years i mean i know there are people of my age who are consultants yeah who are who don't know shit and they proclaim to be consultants right but um yeah i mean see how what i've learned uh, because i'm 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 a thoroughly financially illiterate person and that's what i've been focusing on for the last 4 5 months i realized that i know jack shit about money and i haven't paid enough attention to trying to become financially literate and one thing i've learned is freedom comes from money absolutely if you have if you have the money in the bank then you can do whatever the fuck you want yep so 
I thought about it or not. Entrepreneurship, to be fair, I don't know if I'm cut out for it. I don't think I want the hassle because to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a very specific kind of hustler, or you have to develop yourself into being that specific kind of hustler that can deal with all sorts of problems, manage people, and go through a lot of stress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do I want that? Maybe. Like as you have a podcast running. I'd like to do creative stuff. Like I'm planning a podcast soon, and that will launch soon. It will. Yeah. Um, I want to start something on YouTube, but the stuff that I'm doing on YouTube and the podcast, I don't have any like monetary goals. I'm not doing it to make money. You're doing I'm it not, to I'm create content. I'm going to do it content. because I like it. Yeah, I'm going to do it because I like it. Makes money fine, but at the same time, I'm trying to create alternate sources of revenue for myself. So I'm starting. Uh, my dad is teaching me how to invest in stocks you dad is a ca right and he is a ca so he has found he's very experienced in this he rarely ever loses money so he's teaching me how to invest in stocks and eventually i want to reach a place where i'll be making enough money for my alternate revenue sources that i don't have to depend on getting a paycheck doing what i love so that way i don't have to compromise Like I don't have to work on a shitty script that I don't like because it pays, or so I, I want to have the power to say, "Yeah, fuck off! I'm not interested." Yeah, I have the money. I don't have to do it for money. That's what I want to get at. Because for me, writing is something that's very pure. And right now, yeah, cool. I'll I'll work on any shit script that I can find if it pays. But I don't have that issue now because I'm working for a company and they pay me a salary, and the work that we're doing, I think, is pretty interesting. But Um yeah most certainly i think any human being must look to diversify try to do different things try to earn money from two three places i think as a quote that i read online if, if your job and your salary is the only means of income then you're like one firing away from poverty yeah. so that shouldn't be the way you function you have to try and develop ways to make money and that's been a challenge because i am artistically inclined i am allergic to numbers so it's a whole shift of mindset for me yeah, i'm like yeah. i have to like okay no I, but i have to deal with this i have to figure it out because my entire career basically right now is has been governed or has been laid out by how far away i can get away from math that's pretty much been my career so now i got to get back into it again so but yeah you have to that's the real world it is yeah and pretty much uh there's so much i want to say to that i mean you have no idea very 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 strongly relate to everything that you just said because i'm in the same exact same boat boat right now you know i'm um the boat of being like how i like to put it is i think i have a sentence where i like i, I like um like i i like to speak you know pritam right Yeah, Pritam. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I don't want to show gloat about Pritam because I'm doing a podcast with him recently. But I'll just tell you something that he did and something that uh, I'm very jealous of. And you know, when I'm jealous of something, it's not because I want what they have, but I wish that I could also have that kind of self discipline and build myself to do that. Yeah. Um. So the way Pritam Pritam has always been telling me this that uh, it's about never letting your a paycheck take you hostage. 
that's how he says it he says your paycheck should never take you hostage and he was working at an academy um, as their head of product design or something like that Maybe, yeah i remember he, he told me this yeah this was even go karting correct correct remember that right this was i think 2 yeah, years yeah. ago he was doing quite well over there but he knew this is not what he wants to be doing and what he did is he quit he saved a lot of money he saved like about so he used to get paid again i'm not going to put out numbers again this is something he told me so he used to get paid a fair deal and he used to save almost good amount of it cuz cooked at home lived travel office was just walking distance that's he was very smart in that way you know living life that way and i think a lot of that happened with the asset trips and the kind of conversations that we used to have again um not going to speak too much on that but this is something he did so he dropped out of an academy he used that money uh, to give himself i think a year of leave and he was living at a friend's house where he had to pay just 5k rent so that was a very big blessing for him right so he had that leave and he used that time to teach himself how to design websites and just very recently uh, the app that he made for shopify as an extension got acquired by another software company for a million dollars or something like that and it's just two of them wow. in that company yeah and it's just two of them in that company pritam and sankal so right now they've they've cashed out that's pretty cool yeah yeah he's cashed out and he's fucking chilling now he's moved to hyderabad he's like i'll do what i want to do i'm working on my own projects now so he took that 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 one year one two years he took it took him two years and it's not just those two years because even before that he took he for the five six years i have known him he's always been working on some startup or the other so he's always been in that industry and he knew this is what he wanted to do so um while i'm not trying to emulate his thing what i want to emulate for myself is have that financial freedom this is what I, that's how i like to put it financial freedom right to be able to to not be see i don't want to be rich i want to be wealthy in the sense that i want to have the money to support the things that i want to do like for example right now i really want to be in europe staying in europe for a while doing you know experiencing europe european culture european food but i can't because i cannot financially do that so i'm literally financially not not independent right so that is a i've been having this thought every day for the last 3 2 years of my life so i'm i connected to what you said very strongly uh and uh again not to like put you down or anything like that you know i don't mean it but um uh i i've not been living with my parents since i was 17 to 19 then one year i lived with my parents and again i moved out so just like you i have always kept myself away from numbers kept myself away from finances kept myself away from money because i don't like to deal with that shit but i've realized over time that you have to it's the real world like you said i mean if you don't take care of your finances then you are going to be like dependent on people to take care of your finances or dependent on you know if you don't figure out a way to make money for yourself then you're always going to be dependent on that paycheck like how you very rightly mentioned so that's something even i'm trying to figure out for myself and i while i know that this podcast making money for me is still sandcastles in the air because for me to be able to get either sponsorship to drive this or to get brands who will want to put their brand and pay me money for that as an affiliate sponsor i still need to have at least maybe a million views or 10k views or 100k views all those things also need to yeah. happen and i've never te- i've not tested it out i've not had, con- had a conversation with any sponsor or any brand so it's still sandcastles in the air for me so even i want to get real about it and i want to figure out my finances and with the lockdown i think affecting both our salaries quite strongly it's show, given us perspective with regards to how money works and how how much we've been spending prior to lockdown and 
how much we actually need to spend and stuff like that. So that's something that I've seen for myself that I used to make decent 70, 80 and I used to spend most of it on unnecessary things. And now I'm living on less than half of that and I'm still having money at the end of the month. Yes, of course. Well, I think so that my dad said something interesting. He said, uh, I have like a small salary cut for a while. It will probably elapse in December. But what my dad said is the salary cut actually it it equals your expenses if you would have otherwise got your full salary yep this is what you would have saved because staying at home in lockdown i usually eat outside i am mean, i eat breakfast at home but lunch and dinner i usually eat, eat out so i've saved all of that money no transport money uh, because you couldn't go out anywhere uh, i usually go out two three times a week i i hit wings with the variety boys at least once a week so we have all these other things we're doing which we ha- which we haven't been doing since the lockdown so i've ended up saving the same amount of money that i would have saved or probably even little more and i would have saved had i got my full salary and if life was normal so yeah yeah i mean what freedom did is good i mean see again it depends on your skill set though absolutely if you can't uh, choose what you're good at you can learn some skills but the range that you have is something that you're given mm-hmm. your iq is real your intelligence is real like whatever you have is real so uh, yeah that's how i'm seeing it it uh, makes a lot of sense i totally agree with you on that i mean you you play with the cards that you're dealt with and not crib over the cards that you're not yeah you you can't you can't look at somebody else and be like man you i mean you could think man i wish i had that and maybe if it's in your range you could develop that skill uh like i'm really interested in stand up comedy all of a sudden not to make money so it's a, as an art form it's just suddenly intriguing because i've been watching a lot i've been like analyzing a lot of work that i'm seeing online uh tv shows etc not just consuming it as entertainment but writing it down seeing the craft so when i've been watching a lot of south park i'm actually realizing that man i can write south park like not to be boastful or anything but <laughs> if if i know that i can write a south park episode i can write a season of south park and keep it as funny and i said so comedy as an art form is really interested me so i'm just looking into it but not because it has any monetary value in fact being a stand up comedian is extraordinarily hard you have to open mic for years before you actually get your break yep yeah but see all those guys who started open micing they didn't do it because they, they wanted saw to make like money. a bag of money at the end of the time they knew they had a skill they excelled at it of course they factored in that yes there is money at the end of this journey but i have to get there eventually it would be really naive for you to pursue a, pursue a skill that has no monetary rewards at the end of it Yeah but at the end of the day you can only do what you're good at and you have more value for yourself if uh you have a skill that you can uniquely provide and not many others can correct if you can do something that two other million people can then yeah chances are you're going to get paid the same like how the engineers in india get paid correct because there are like fucking lakhs of them who can all do the same thing same and gate nand gate and excel sheets i totally agree with yeah. you on that i think yeah it's a it's a 
if you if if i want to add maybe a little to this conversation i think it's a mix of um knowing what you're good at knowing what out there is making a lot of which industry out there is making a lot of money and how you can get involved there and i think it at the end of the day it comes down to knowing what you want to do with that excuse me what you want to do with that money for example i'm pretty sure for you with money it's more mainly to have life experiences and not to like buy 10 lamborghinis or buy 50 houses or like buy 10 kirtarat gold i don't think that's something that that excites you as much as maybe using that money to maybe learn something new experience something new travel somewhere maybe be part of a spectacle maybe invest in something so i think having having maybe maybe a sort of benchmark like for example aditya if adi if i know for example that i want to have um or i want to be able to like let's say i do it like this like i have my podcast where i want to invest uh 20 30k a month because i want to have a guy who can take my podcast edit the videos splice them up do a little after effects on it so i've got to do that secondly i know that i need 30k a month to be able to indulge in food like you know how much i love food to be able to eat food openly and as abrasively as i want to i know that i want to invest another 25k in my health that includes my medical checkups my gym my uh, supplements my healthy whatever you know those things that take care of my health and finally i know i need so and so x amount of money to pay for my my liabilities that is my rent my emi is my electricity bill my car petrol etc i think it's like having even if it's not having like a very thorough excel sheet with everything broken down you know like that's something you and i would hate doing even if it's having like maybe a rough ballpark it just makes things a little easier going forward so i think that's so at least that's something that i believe in you know like maybe having a ball just a, just a rough estimate that you know i need this much to survive and one way of doing it is i remember again uh reading this in a book okay it's called uh rework the way you work and the way it said is if if it's enough if it's an, if you're pricing your brand as a luxury brand and the way you do it is you tell yourself ask yourself this question how much do i want to sell this product for and then mark it up by 7x right so hmm. this is something in life like say for example if i tell myself in life i need and this is something i do at work also right when i i know i need 3 days to make a pitch i always ask for 5 right buy myself that buffer yeah, yeah i do that all the time i buy myself all the time yeah so maybe that yeah, could, buy myself all the time i can get yeah yeah and i think maybe that could be a good philosophy to have with money also where you know you need again it's not about being greedy like again no no name calling anyone but you remember that special someone from our college who loved bragging about how much gold he had stored away at home yeah not like that but it's very different for us wherein we want this money to help fund us in the different pursuits that we have like i'm pretty sure you'd want See, that 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 is like money to to bra- i mean to sort of uh establish a false sense of status that's what <laughs> that is that's what that is yeah yeah i mean i don't think most people even listening to this podcast i think this is they just want money for freedom they just want to do what they want to do correct i don't think status is something that they want we all we all we all crave for status no doubt i, I think if if you don't and you think it is going to be some like you can do whatever you want and then people are going to love you no that's not how it works especially for guys yeah if you if you if you want the women you need status yep Right. If, if you're extraordinarily lucky, you will find that one girl who loves you for who you really are, and 
you have an amazing bond you can build your careers together but not everybody gets that. i have friends who have who you know who have been dating girls since when they were in high school and we used to call her like bhabhi we already knew her these two men together went to be together and you and me some of those guys but status is important man especially if you're a guy the bank it balance it does matter to some it extent does. not not it is not the be all and end all of life but it does matter it does sure. so yeah i mean wealth for me is freedom as you said like even right now i the one thing i don't compromise on is food when i go to a restaurant i want to eat the best if i want if i'm interested to eat something i don't give a fuck what it costs i'm going to buy it because i want that freedom because i know that if i if i get used to this lifestyle then i put pressure on myself to make more money i'm not adjusting exactly exactly i have the other i'm not adjusting i'm like this is the life i have lived and if it means i'm spending a lot of money that means that i have to make more money so i have the aggressive approach rather than i have x amount oh i can't afford this so i'm not going to do this of course there are reasonable places where you can cut costs you can live in a like you don't have to live in an exorbitantly expensive flat you don't have to buy amazing interiors you can sleep on a mattress on the fucking floor you don't need a bed there are things that you can adjust but on on these small things like food like going out and having a beer that you want like i haven't touched kf ever since ever since i started earning i don't drink english anymore what about old mog not mom? because i'm an elitist no old mog i don't like ram anyway but <laughs> it has nothing to do with uh, being an elitist that kingfisher is cheap like i don't like but you king know fisher. but you know what your tastes are and you want to indulge yeah, in those i don't like kingfisher so i don't drink kingfisher and i only used to drink kingfisher because it was cheap now that i can afford a little more like i don't drink like super expensive beers or anything but whenever i go out rather than having three or four kingfisher pints i'll have two hogarden pints because i really like hogarden it costs a little more but those are the small things that i can treat myself to and if i look at my bank balance and i think man i spent a lot today the defensive approach would be let me cut down on costs the aggressive approach would be i need to make more money i need to make 20 30 k more, more each month yeah so i think if you have the latter approach you actually become more active like in storytelling we always have an active protagonist and a passive protagonist passive protagonist just reacts to what's happening around him an active protagonist drives the story forward he takes active decisions so yeah so would you say you need to be active would you say john snow is more of an active protagonist uh, i would say john snow is more of a passive i would say Jamie Lannister is more of a passive protagonist and Tyrion Lannister is more of an active protagonist what would you say in the game of thrones um the way game of thrones um, has been written using your analogy right now because Jamie Lannister yeah because you mentioned active, active and passive differently yeah yeah like you mentioned that um active protagonist is someone who actively changes the narrative and a passive protagonist is someone who goes along with the narrative and still stays the protagonist right so if you've noticed jamie lannister's character arc has always been he's a victim of his circumstances and tyrion is always changing his circumstances to what he wants no but it depends it depends because um 
Jamie actually begins in an active way. Like he's okay. He uh, Ned finds out about him in Cersei. I think way before all of that, when Tyrion's captured by Catelyn, Jamie takes it upon himself to attack Ned outside the brothel. He injures him, and then uh, he goes. Then he meets up with his father, and they go to war. And it's his active decision, all of it. But then, of course, later he becomes passive because he's a victim of his circumstances. But then again, he negotiates himself out of captivity by discussing a treaty with Roose Bolton. He's the one who says, "Listen, my father will pay you X amount of money. Let me go." Which is why Roose actually lets him go. Him and Brienne. Yeah. So they're active and passive differently. Yeah. You mentioned Jon right? Snow. Yeah, Harrenhal. Jon Snow. I think one of the main reasons this season seven and eight was shit. But I think seven season eight was shit. Seven seven was pretty bad too. Because in eight, Jon Snow was just passive. He didn't do anything. He's just like she's my queen. That's Yama. it. Yama. <laughs> Bend the knee. She's my queen. Bend the knee. That's it. I don't want it. He he had no active decision that he took that pushed the story forward, which is really sad. And in season seven, he had some really idiotic active decisions, like. Taking the the best fighters of Westeros, like the Avengers, beyond the wall to find a fucking zombie, like no dude, it's a really shit plan. But of course, he had plot armor, so he was saved. Yeah, I've been binging on a lot oh, of don't, these. Oh, don't don't get me started on Game of Thrones. We are we are now the topic, as you've noticed, uh, guys. Those seasons were so bad <laughs> that it's it's ruined the rewatchability of the show. Like to me, season one. Of Game of Thrones is like among the godliest seasons of television ever written. Season one, or and just season even... one to four. One to four, but one one had that sort of Shakespearean vibe to it because you had Cersei Lannister say things like, you know, they had that old world medieval language here yeah, and there. Yeah. So your, I remember when uh, she was your old. Uh, she's like your when... Lady Macbeth. Sort of, you know, like you remember what the scene where Robert Baratheon slaps him. So I remember this dialogue very clearly. She tells Ned, "How dare you lay hands on my blood?" Like who the fuck talks like that in season six, seven, eight? It's all yeah. just cock jokes. He yeah. has, oh, it's all about cocks, and they don't speak that way anymore. They don't have that archaic way. So season one for me was authentically Game of Thrones. And I would say one, two, three, four were exceptional seasons. Not surprisingly, because those they followed the books. Hmm. Season four onwards, they deviated from the books slightly, and it went to shit. Five was okay. Five and six were good. Like I'd say, season one, two, three, four were like nine point five out of ten. Hmm. Five season five and six were like nine or eight and a half. Seven was a seven, <laughs> and season eight was like I don't know four, three or two or something. Yeah. Why do you think it happened? Do you have any insight as to what happened? Did HBO force them to run? Um, did no, it's simple. It's I think it's the show. It's a showrunner's fault because they had um, showrunners as in D and D. D and D. Yeah, mm-hmm. they wanted to wrap up this season or the show uh, in seventy-six episodes or something. Seventy-six or seventy-four or whatever the number was. So by season six, they had already reached, I think, sixty episodes. 
somewhere close to that number so the last two episodes they just rushed it it each season is 10 episodes right yeah so season 7 was seven episodes i think no no it was nine episodes uh, doesn't matter dude no no seven uh, let's seven. see let's see let's see let's see it was it was not nine it was seven episodes and season 8 was six episodes i think seven and eight were the last two seasons no yeah so 13 episodes were the last two seasons instead of 20 episodes i'll tell you right so now that's wait. seven hours of screen time that they lost out on so it's six episodes in uh, season 8 and seven episodes in season yeah precisely seven moreover the pacing of the story went to shit because they they meticulously built up they took six seasons to get danny to come back to westeros and i think the battle in i mean the battle for westeros the army of in mean, the battle between cersei the north daenerys all of them uh, the white walker saga that alone is like three seasons much more than that i would say yeah i mean i think george r r martin wanted 10 seasons oh really so when yeah when you ruin the pacing and it's also i don't blame the showrunners okay because they were adapting the books and to be fair they adapted the books really well because there were many scenes uh, many scenes in the uh, earlier seasons that were not there in the books yeah like the entire tywin arya thing was made up yeah that was made up uh, there are many se- uh, seasons uh, sorry uh, scenes between tyrion and cersei when they chat in season 2 Materials, the hand of the king. A lot of that wasn't there. Hmm. So you could, you can tell that yeah, these guys can write. But it's a super complex show, complex plot, and they were following the books meticulously. And it's not their fault that they fucking took seven, eight years to come up with six seasons, and this old fart still didn't finish his book. So when they caught up, they had no option because that's how television works. They can't be like, listen, we're going to wait three years. until george finishes his book because even george the books and the beats and the story beats and everything that he's come up with it's taken years for him to write so when you spend that amount of time obviously your writing will be good so he also didn't want to rush it and make a shitty book same yeah you can't blame him either because he was like but having said that there's a lot of criticism against him because he's taken 8 years or something now i think but he hasn't released his book yet And that's going to be the finale. I think he has another one left. I think there are two books left. So what he gave them was broad beats, like this will happen, 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 like ten, oh, fifteen okay, okay. beats till the end of the story. And it's a fault of both. It's a, I think the victims, the circumstances. At the same time, they could have written. they could have pushed the seasons longer but i don't think they want to do it and they killed the show i to be honest i don't know how hbo allowed them to do to make season 8 it's it's a production house that is so careful about what they produce and the roster of hbo shows are like <coughs> yeah i mean most, hbo is home to sopranos and the wire dude sopranos the wire the newsroom uh deadwood westworld of the shows and even the lesser known shows are just breathtaking how do they allow this to happen i don't know 
I think I think what happened is um, too many cooks got involved. I, I have a feeling so. that's I what happened. Just, I think it was a D and D and the other writers they were working with. Another guy called Brian Cogman. No, not that way. I mean, see, what happens when something like this becomes really big is you start needing more money to produce this. You start need getting more stakeholders, more producers, more production companies because HBO. No, bro, I don't think that's a problem. You don't think so? Because HBO gave them money. HBO gave them enough money that the budget of of season eight was huge, actually. And don't you How think? How much shit they put? Yeah, don't you think while HBO did that, the people like see HBO is at the end of the day, it's dependent on sponsorship as well. Like people invest money in HBO because at the end of the day, HBO is like your any of your Rupert Murdoch's stations, right? So could it be possible? Again, I'm just hypothesizing that HBO probably got money from just as assuming some oligarchy or some Russian billionaire, and he's like, I'm I'm going to have full no. control over season eight. Like no, just, I'm so. just laying down a hypothesis. Okay, say for example, like you know, this happens a lot, where today we sell our soul to the devil, and the devil's like, for four years I will not ask for anything, but fourth year I will ask you for something, and for three years, three and a half years you celebrate, and then at the end of three and a half years you're like, oh shit, isn't like isn't the taxpayer coming in six months? Like if you remember the Deathly Hallows introduction, that's how it starts off with the three brothers. They get the gifts. And it's only that one guy who took the invisibility cloak who knew death would be coming for him, right? He was prepared for it. So, do you think something like that happened, where you know D and D probably got the deal? They were like, "Yeah, seventy-six episodes you make, but after season five or six, we will start controlling." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, that time. By that time, I don't care. Probably I'll sell the show." Something they had. Some I don't premise. think so because see, uh, if a if a creator's creative decisions are impacting the world and are working, a producer will not button, especially on HBO. Dude, HBO produced five seasons of The Wire, even when the ratings were crap. It's one of my favorite TV so, shows of all time. So yeah, and I mean, retrospectively, it's now considered one of the greatest ever. I mean, most people would rate it as the greatest show ever. Yeah, I think Sopranos is the greatest, but it's hard to. I wouldn't argue the point. If someone said The Wire is the greatest show ever, I'd be like, I totally get it. Dude. Totally. Imagine if someone, Wire someone, is second for me. Yeah, imagine if someone made. Something like the wire, but in a city like Bangalore, covering the five different classes—political class, reddy class. Dude, you know what? It's it's possible, man. I I don't think the Indian audience is as stupid as people claim. I think what's happening is, um, with the with the OTT game coming in Netflix, Amazon Prime, etc., you have a new age or new wave of producers who want to produce good content. but at the same time like amazon prime they balance that well it's not they don't produce like super art house stuff oh amazon prime stuff like yeah they produce stuff like family man etc which has commercial elements to it but at the same time is interesting okay but uh, in terms of your average film industries some industries have stagnated like kannada industry certainly has there are a new age wave of filmmakers and there's yeah. some really cool shit Malayali film industry has changed completely. It's very, very Fad Fazil, Dilkar. Malayalam, Malayalam film industry has been decades ahead of everyone for forty years. It's just that we are discovering them now because their movies are being subtitled. And it's on Netflix as well. A lot of them. Yeah, it's it's like all these naughty guys who are like, oh, you know, Not South Indian movies are actually amazing. So <laughs> like, yeah, bro, we've we've known that for thirty years. Ustad Hotel. 
Yeah, like we've known that for 30 years, like from when Nayagan released in the 80s, we, we already know South Indian cinema is amazing. It's far better than Bollywood on average. It's just that now the language barrier is being broken because a lot of North Indian guys can access South Indian movies now because the movies are being subtitled into English. Now, even us, even me as a Tamilian, I can watch Telugu movies now, I can watch other movies now because they're being subtitled. Otherwise, I don't understand Telugu. Correct. I understand you know, that. Yeah. So, that language barrier is also being broken. But having said that, yeah, Malayalam cinema is like decades ahead. Dude. They, they yeah. are operating at like a European level, you know, really art house stuff where there's a lot of focus on the craft. You can, you can tell that there's great detail paid attention to writing. It's not just gimmicky shit because yeah. that won't fly in Kerala. It's not based on you, the usual tropes of building a cinema, cinematic film. I mean, building a film. Yeah. I think Tamil cinema is in between. They do the commercial stuff really well and they do the art house stuff as, as well. And Kannada cinema, I think, is waiting for a new wave to take over. And that'll happen. I think that'll happen. It'll happen soon. You have a new age of filmmakers, a new wave of filmmakers who want to take Kannada cinema to the next step. I think what disadvantage Kannada cinema is, the population of Bangalore has exploded. Yeah. But the not a lot, not all of it is Kannadigas. You know, not Kannadigas. Usually even when a city ex- city expands, they're all brought into that culture. They all learn the language. For example, New York would have the Irish moving in, the Italians moving in, but under the contract... The Jews moving in, but they're all... Moving here, yeah. you bring in your culture, it'll be fantastic, but you speak English. This is not going to be an Italian ghetto and an Irish ghetto. You all speak English. So, unfortunately, because of the flaw in our education system, where students of ICC, CBSE didn't even study Canada, having been born and raised in the city, is a big problem. And then that will change because the state government has just made Canada compulsory now. Whether you're CBSC, ICC, whatever. So in 20 years' time, I don't think that will be a problem. Right. So it, it all starts but our at generation. Grassroots. Yeah, so our generation, unfortunately, were victims of that. We didn't study Canada literature. So suddenly... I remember when I was a kid in like seventh, eighth grade, when I first started started traveling in the BMTC bus, somebody told me, hey, listen, if somebody speaks to you in Kannada, just say Kannada Gutfilla. <laughs> Which I don't know at the time. I, looking back, it's a stupid thing to say, but the bus conductor asked me something in Kannada and I said, sir, Kannada Gutfilla. Not in like an aggressive way. I said, sir, sorry, sir, Kannada Gutfilla. And this old man turned to me and was like, basically in Kannada, he told me, Fucking why the hell are you, how long have you been in the city? Like a noob, I said, I've been born and raised here. And he's like, you don't know Canada. Like, I understand their angst. Yeah. The, the locals here understand their angst. But at the same time, it wasn't my fault either because I thought I was following the rules. I went to school. The school told me you can pick languages. It was never a my compulsion for us to do it. Which is wrong. As in, you have to learn the official language of the state you're living in. Yeah. This would not happen anywhere in the world. Yeah, we have to fucking learn never, German if you want to go to Germany. Learn yeah, French if, you, if you go to France. You would never have a situation where you're born and raised in Madrid and you can't speak Spanish. That will never happen. So, yeah. that we now, are, now I realize mm, that. I think it's because... Working on my, yeah. 
Go on, go on, go on. Finish, finish that statement. Then. Yes, so I've been, I've been working on my Kannada for the last two, three years because I've been, I've realized that. And I think another issue is, I think Kannadigas are too nice, bro. They've adjusted. Like they'll speak in Hindi to people. So, a language, the need to learn a language comes from the demand for it, right? Yeah. Comes from necessity. Not many people learn a language because, oh wow, it's. Uh, I, want, I just want to learn a new language mm. because it's it's hard it's hard to learn a new language. So you have to develop the necessity. Like if you go to Chennai, you will invariably pick up Tamil because so people there Paris, don't speak to Hindi that much yeah, and they don't really entertain. You go to Paris. You go to Paris. My dad lived there for a few years. There are only signboards in French. There are no English signboards for anybody. So. that necessity is there like 6 months before you even move you're like fuck i need to learn some french yeah you need to have a you need to get your toefl tests yeah. and stuff like what that's english yeah I mean, so i think the liberal sort of attitude of kannadigas was like come come we'll we'll accept all of you which is great i think has unfortunately been abused not because people are malicious cuz people were like listen dude i'm doing a job 9 to 5 i have bills to pay i have things to take care of this can't be another headache if, i need to take if this language is not really a necessity then i won't learn it that's where it comes from yeah which i also on my instagram i've been talking up against you know even my kannada is not great but i've been trying to improve i have a kannada app and i'm learning speak spoken kannada i'm trying to improve my own kannada like when i'm out on the street and someone speaks to me in kannada i will speak to them in broken kannada correct and i appreciate that cuz you know i'm trying to do that yeah i will i will speak and i will embarrass myself if i if i don't find the words because i find it only logical that you can't put a local uh you can't make a local inconvenience like it's your duty to speak to them in the language that they know especially if they if they like flower sellers and auto drivers and all Like even auto drivers are adjusted; they speak in Hindi to you. But I try my best to speak in Kannada. I'll speak in Kannada no matter what. Correct, and I'm pretty sure you've noticed this one thing that if you start speaking to them in Kannada and then you 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 stumble and you're not able to find the words, they themselves will be like Hindi and they will start speaking in Hindi to you, even more yeah, so openly, you know. Yeah, because what I fear is if Bangalore is not careful, we'll go the Mumbai route because. Mumbai is the capital city of Maharashtra, and I don't know this might offend some people, but what I found is there's very little Marathi about the place. It's a Hindi city, and it's been enveloped completely by people who've come from outside of Bombay, who no doubt have contributed to the development of Bombay. But having said that, you go to any global city in the world—Paris, New York, London—they house. people of 80 different nationalities that have developed the city but the language hasn't changed london speaks english new york speaks english paris speaks french madrid speaks spanish lisbon speaks portugal portuguese nothing's changed whereas what has happened in bombay is you think organically if it was like any other place in the world marathi would have grown as a culture language would have been it would have been enriched by all these people coming in from the various cultures that hasn't happened the marathi cinema industry has been swallowed even though they make great cinema they are they aren't mm. growing as much i know what you're saying marathi marathi is a language that is not required in mumbai 
Yeah, I get what you're you saying. You have to learn it. So, to me, as someone who's a writer who cares about culture, that's not liberalism. That's cultural suicide. It's complete cultural suicide. So, in the south, we were we're already sensitive about it, and in Bangalore, I think we have to be careful because you have a lot of people moving here who. for no fault of their own have been brainwashed in the school education system and told that hindi is a national language of india so they come here and almost like they're like why the fuck should i even learn kannada you should speak the national language right so you can't blame them either because that's the education system that they've been cultured that's the that's the system they've been brought up by and un- un- unfortunately they are uninformed Yeah, it's all a byproduct of the systems that already exist. Yeah, that and only way of. this can change is a long-term change. You're not going to lecture people into learning Kannada. That that's not going to happen. Yeah. The only way you change it is you make Kannada compulsory in education. Make it fundamental. You learn English, make it fundamental, and over a course of time. And by the way, this is how cultural integration happens. You know, the first generation of Italians who moved to the to the United States had no allegiance to the to the USA whatsoever. Yeah, they were still Italian. their children who went through the education system came out as americans yeah like your tony soprano etc yeah that's how that happens so yeah. it will take some time it will take about 20 30 years i mean probably 20 years and things will even out i think hmm yeah i i'd like to extend this discussion and like to share my thoughts also and i completely agree with every single thing that you said i think the way you have put it is is one of the most anthropologic it's and it's it's almost anthropological at the same time you're looking at it from a socio cultural point of view at the same time you're looking at how the economy has caused people to migrate so you know, i would like to add something i would like to like like um extend this conversation <clears throat> and kind of like for all the people who are tuning in this is when adi adi and i are going to get a little intellectual with what we have to say um um so i'll just say everything that i have on my mind i'm i'm going to deconstruct a lot of different thoughts and then finally put them all together as a constellation right so initially it will be very incoherent you'll be like what the fuck is he saying and then together in towards the end i'll start putting them together like stitching it together uh now the thing with uh the thing with europe and i completely strongly agree with, i very strongly agree with you on that that they have that sense of um local pride and local identity like your football clubs are supported by the local those like your uh kya bolte hai usko psg supported by the psg of paris paris supporters and you have your uh what is klopp's previous team uh which he managed dortmund dortmund right which is supported by a lot of these german fans i think so borussia dortmund yeah yeah the, the german fans right so i think um what happens with a country like i'm going to little bit just deconstruct Europe and USA, uh, with regards to how I think their culture has evolved since the 1800s, I think since the whole mi- mass migration started happening. Uh, I think, see again, Assassin's Creed has been a great help of this and history. I think you know that we both are really big history buffs. We love reading about um, what it would have been to be a person at that point in time. So first, I start talking about Europe. Um, I think Europe has always, see, Europe has been defined. by i think i think there's three things two things that define that a european individual would define himself by one is his um faith in the main religion of that continent which is the vatican based religion that would be one 
and the second thing would be again like you said the country they belong to say for example if i'm a french person then i would very strongly call myself a french patriot or a german patriot or an austrian patriot or whatever and i'm not talking about no, but there's Argent. a reason for this there's a reason for this you go on go on because uh, european nationalism involved language they said germans for the german Correct. german for the germans Bingo. french for the french that's and it did sort of involve uh, stifling a lot of other smaller languages like absolutely uh, provosol and all these other languages were killed completely so you can so for me what i see the difference uh, between the way india is governed and the way europe is so is, you want me to you want me to finish this stitching this point and then we'll discuss our difference huh, go ahead go ahead go ahead yeah, yeah. so what i've noticed with europe is i think if if you deconstruct the history of europe it was a bunch of these kingdoms driven by their own in, individual kings who were again said to be divined by grace of god like if you were blessed by the holy roman if you were a holy roman emperor then you were the king who was blessed by the vatican church the pope has blessed you to be the king chosen by god like charlemagne it started with charlemagne and then it extended across kings various kings and that changed houses right at, at one point of time the french were the leaders of europe i want to what point on the saxons or the proto germans were the leaders of europe at one point on the normans were the leaders of europe who were the post french more britain and one point on the, the britons were the leaders of europe that is the britons not the t a i n s but the t o n s those britons those britons so it's always changed hands in europe right it's always been um there has been one like at one point of time the spains were the leaders of europe right it's always changed yeah, hands spaniards. the spaniards right during the spanish conquests of europe and the three years seven years war between france england and spain which black flag when you're Not playing sure. black flag i don't remember right so yeah. black flag the premise of black flag no when the spain early france, 1700s that was the pirate age so yeah so the seven years war or something like that they fought at that point of time right between the three countries so the thing with europe has been they have always been kingdoms with their very unique identities and they have always said yes of course we are europeans but we are i'm french first european second that's how they form their identity if they have to yeah. prioritize yeah i'm french first european second and that's the same way that europe has given like every european country is defined by its own identity first and second to its obligations to the european union i'm france it's known for its mona lisa and it's known for its uh what is that statue of liberty not statue of liberty that thing called dude the eiffel tower and it's known for its ice creams and for its coffee houses and for its french artists and the french nudists and the women and then it's known as a country as part of the european union right what i and same with your german same germany and austria i just to add something to what you said the french yeah. french philosophers have actually you know all of this postmodern woke nonsense almost everything traces back to french philosophy yeah liberta liberta and egalite right liberty and those egalite. guys those guys when you actually read what academics your say your video is lagging the philosophers you're frozen on my screen is it no yeah now you're back go on hmm. yeah so we'll get to that later but just to add to the contribution contributions of france to the world a lot of bogus philosophy as well <laughs> yeah i mean we'll get to that i think 
that's why i i i i feel so bad they butchered assassin's creed because you were literally fucking through these cultures as a protagonist during the greatest ages but we'll get to that we'll get to assassin's creed i think yeah you have a lot of things still left to talk about so i'll just quickly sum this up so what i'm trying to say is that europe has always been the country's identity uh, the that that nation's identity first and then the continents but with india india is like i think you and i have had this discussion before where india is like europe but where you have you have taken away france germany spain individual identities and you said you're all indians now they're all europeans there's an attempt to do it at least yeah it's it's all it's always been like that. that's what nehru and gandhi did I mean, right like they said north india much of north india has already succumbed to that idea whereas in the south we've sort of retained our identity correct still. the four states have still been very ident- very individual by themselves you are very right yeah. see which is not to say that people from assam and bengal and all of them right they care they care deeply about their culture and their identity it's just that they're not politically represented yeah uh, can you explain that in a little bit more layman's terms what do you mean by politically represented for example south indian politicians themselves will say we are proud of karnataka proud of karnataka ah, okay. so you you're saying basically a west bengal guy will not say joy bangla i mean there are i mean that's what trinamool Didi. congress is yeah yeah that's what she does <laughs> but i mean yeah but she is dubious for all for like 10 other reasons just a quick insight yeah, for I'll all like- the audience guys aditya is 50 times more well versed with world politics world political dynamics which that's something i stay out of completely uh which is why you will see that his insights with regards to that are a lot more uh driven by insights and study and what you observe for me it's more like i i study about anthrop- from from it from an anthropological point of view which is how i like to study the cause of humanity adi really likes to get it aditya really likes to get adi aditya really likes to get into the um the world politics the significance of having uh the 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 socio political side of it is something aditya very strongly gets involved in which i don't as much so I, that's why we are having this conversation now and you'll notice a lot of are these insights are driven by strong socio political insights that he studied whereas for me it's mainly driven by study of humanity and how human communities are progressed so yeah let's guys i just i just read closely i just read what a lot of people way smarter than me have to say about these things that's, that's exactly it. what he does exactly that's it <laughs> there are there are guys way smarter than me who've done all their research all i do is i just spend a little more time reading the stuff because it interests me and i'm, I'm really interested in people in general and i think yeah. if you have to be a storyteller you first need to understand the world yep how it works yep some extent obviously there are a lot of things i don't know i mean I actually know very little But what oh, you yeah. know is a lot more than what I do. Anyways, I'll, I'll finish that thought. Okay. Yeah. So similarly, that's how India is, and India has always been constructed as we're India first, and then you are uh, a North Indian or a Madhya Indian. And you are very right. That's a great insight that you said. The South Indian states are a lot more still identifying themselves as a Malayali or a Tamilian. You'll you'll notice that a Tamilian will say I'm a Tamilian, a Malayali will say I'm a Malayali, an Andhra guy will say I'm But a Tamil guy. But the difference is the difference is we don't say where. maybe in tamil nadu they do say that we are tamilian first and then indian second but uh, the idea of india is very much accepted it's not that we have as we are as committed to the indian project as is anybody else exactly exactly i'm not saying that it's it's yeah. i'm not saying that you're not committed the that these societies are not committed to the indian identity as a whole it's just that that's not the only narrative stuck in their head they're very very like 
it's only a, like they they know what their individual cultural identities are as well now the problem i would okay again okay, okay, i don't have too much insight to drive what the problems from this are what the solutions are but what i've noticed is that there has like how you know how you very rightly said right it's because in france the administrations everything has always been french which is why if i have to go to france i have to make sure that i have to learn french to match bureaucracy and make sure i get a job and know how to fucking work around there work live a 9 to 5 even in japan you have to know japanese in japan uh in india it's like how you very rightly mentioned no, aditya that adi that in adi aditya that you don't i don't need to know i don't need to know uh marathi in mumbai i can just know english and a modicum of hindi english also i don't need to know that much hindi also i can get along with. hindi if you knew if you know hindi is more than enough exactly i think that is primarily to do with that is more like the us thing wherein you where you knew said right that yes you are italian yes you are irish yes you are black yes you are cuban immigrants yes you are uh, french immigrants yes you are so x y and z but in the united states of america you are the citizen of united states of america right so i think that problem not sort of problem again there's no problem i think apart from the thakres in bombay or in maharashtra driving that whole marathi philosophy you don't have it as something which is very popularly loved and accepted like i'll tell you what i mean um i would love no, bro, to actually it is see i, I, I it's, it's a reverse thing actually okay it is see what has happened in mumbai is see mumbai is actually a weird city okay much of india i think you like you were talking about football clubs right and i think i can distill what you were trying to say comparing europe and india yeah so europe just like any other cultural territory on planet earth grew bottom up okay okay it grew organically so you have towns towns became villages villages became cities cultural territories band together it became uh, nations mm. it's all organic all right so when your football clubs it was not that dortmund didn't have a football club then a central government said gave them a football club and said support it it was something that grew up in dortmund football clubs just evolved organically they just came up so you're saying the local football club uh, so it was all bottom up so what happened in india is i think and this is not to fault the founding fathers in any way because i mean india was a very complicated place at the time yep 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 so india should have been treated in my opinion as a subcontinent as we do refer to india as a subcontinent but uh, in term administratively i think it should have been treated like the way the european union is being treated right now mm-hmm. all right but what i think what happened is one thing that india suffered from and one of the reasons why this civilization that we call india or the indian civilization was constantly invaded was because we had no unity yes hmm. right so we went completely in the hippie direction which is live and let live do what you want speak all all kinds of languages which is fantastic which gave birth to the incredible diversity that we have in india but we were too naive as to not have some overarching structure and that meant that people we could constantly be invaded that meant that the british would come in and play divide and rule and all that happened so i mm. think having been exploited so badly for 200 years during british rule and another 1000 years with the mogals 
Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was this sort of existential angst that my God, we need unity. We need order. We need unity. We need order. We need unity. So, on the one hand, Muhammad Ali Jinnah actually proposed that India be ruled much like the United States, where you have a weak federal government and strong state governments, but the federal government has all the emergency powers. Hmm. 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 And when it comes to war and when shit really hits the fan, the federal government can issue emergency mandates to bring shit to bring shit under control. But the federal government in the United States does not micromanage the country. In fact, the states have a lot of powers there, which is why in the United States it's very organic. If you're if you're a true blood conservative, you can go live in Arkansas. If you're a, if you're a liberal, go drive to California and find. find find somewhere to live there you can go to colorado whoever you are you can find a place to live there correct all right so i agree personally with having a common language i think it's really naive that we have 29 languages expressed and then no common language obviously we need a common language in india one yeah. language that all of us speaks especially if you're driving that 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 india we are india narrative there has to be right yeah i mean see then again like you see from where those our founding fathers were coming from there was no unity in the nation okay i mean we did have a common enemy which is what we were all fighting towards and then partition happened and there were a lot of, there was a lot of shit going down so who's to say that if we had allowed a federalist sort of structure that the states would have not started fighting each other you know that would have happened so you can't say maybe it was important to have a strong central government but there were things that we should have negotiated on and settled for example having a national language you cannot have a national language in india it's really stupid to have a national language in india we had a language that would have been beneficial which is english which is one of the things the british gave us which would have connected us to the rest of the world which maybe we should we don't need to study as a first language you could have all been educated, but then again but then again it brings issues of business into Correct. how would you do business with each other so personally i think it's good to be practical where we all study english but we study the state languages as well and that's it because what has unfortunately happened is your indianness is defined by whether you know hindi or not like a european uh, an italian expresses his europeanness through italian a frenchman expresses his Euro- ah, european, i get what you're saying the, the european identity is not one language so unfortunately that has happened and what the bjp are pushing and which the congress once did is this idea of one identity <clears throat> where one umbrella identity that all we all come under and they did it with this existential angst that oh you know the country will fall apart people will not be sold this idea of the indian project but what has happened is over the 50 years the i think they underestimated the population we've all actually bought into the idea of india and that's because we have a common culture we have natural borders himalayas in the north the oceans in the south the subcontinent so we're naturally divided anyway the only areas of dispute were bangladesh assam bengal and pakistan punjab which were the only places which just which didn't have natural borders so 
we don't need to be united as per under one language it's just really stupid because the language of business is anyway english it's a language that connects us to the rest of the world and let people from karnataka express their indian identity identity in kannada let people from uttar pradesh express their indian identity identity in hindi let someone else express their indian identity in a northeastern state might express their identity in their own local language there is no need for this indian perspective you know what i mean yeah Because absolutely when i go to bombay i spoke to everybody in english dude there was a punjabi guy there was because what happens is when you put an indian language layer like hindi over indianness it invariably kills the local language there is a reason why the punjabi film industry the marathi film industry the assamese film industry i don't even know if it exists the odia film industry i don't there no way how do i put it they haven't developed because mm. all the artists in punjab maharashtra odisha assam bengal they come into bombay so nobody is staying there whereas in the south we have a rich tradition of telling our own stories which is why also south indian cinema is more uh, authentic Mm, I get what you're saying. Stories are more no, because, to south. Mm. Yeah, because Bollywood can't do it. If Bollywood has to tell a story about Punjab to the rest of India, they can't use nuance because other states won't get it. So it's this to even have a film industry of India to me is really stupid. You can't like Bhubaneswar should not be relying on Mumbai to tell its stories. Like where. so that's a huge problem and yeah. one of the reasons this has happened to the northern states is because i would use the word like we say anglicized i would say they have all been hindianized hmm and i, and I think and even the, hmm. yeah even the hindi film industry right i think it should be based out of a hindi state then you would get movies like masan which are so authentically heartland india And not surprisingly, Masala was directed by Anurag Kashyap, who's from UP, and written by one of the writers was Varun Grover, who again is from that that part part of India. I think uh, so, Varun Grover worked on yeah, Sacred but, Games, right? Yeah, so season two, yeah. Sacred Games season two, I remember. Yeah. Um, see, there's a thing where I'd like to add here. Okay, it comes down to I think um. it comes down to a little bit of identity okay and i'll tell you what i mean by that if we have to divide uh, anwar yeah anwar anwar one sec my phone charge is going so i've just turned on my pc just edit this out i just connect my usb cord from my phone to my cool, pc cool, so that yeah. it charges can you hear me yes i can yeah just tell me where to start from i'll ask you a question and we'll start from there um how are you enjoying the podcast so far it's interesting yeah it's good it's like it's like us usually hanging out exactly right that's exactly how i wanted it to be just um, without adnan and hisham yeah hisham exactly now um, i would like to pursue talking about india as a social cultural cultural from a social cultural you want me to finish what we were talking about earlier yeah i do i want you to finish that Ah, okay. So essentially, yeah, I think that's the problem. India has been 
governed uh, top down instead of bottom up i think it's high time the central government starts ceding powers to the state hmm. and holds emergency powers like in case of covid or something they can issue they, they can dictate what other state governments are doing or in terms of war or something but this sort of centralized way of looking at india and weirdly enough the idea of uniting india with hindi was proposed as an economic solution okay right and the fact is north india is poor dude it's poor as fuck they are they haven't developed at all especially the hindi states they haven't done well and weirdly enough the south indian states which are all supposedly divided by language are the most prosperous states in the country uh, is this like Not some just... something you read somewhere recently if you could just cite yeah, yeah. where you most certainly uh kerala is not you can just google this uh, in terms of uh, socio development factors the un did a study where uh, south india is far better than the north and i think they compared the socio economic conditions of south and middle class south indians and they compared it to middle income european countries whereas north indian states some of them not all of them were comparable to sub saharan africa that means just sudan and stuff this like that this was a un study this was a un study economically for example kerala doesn't contribute as much to the gdp of india but in terms of living in terms of safety of women in terms of lot of other things southern states have developed far better i mean anyone anyone in india would tell you that the southern states are they have developed better maybe exception being maharashtra which is also a state developing well but otherwise no uttar pradesh jharkhand himachal pradesh bihar rajasthan these are all the states good supposedly mm-hmm. united with united by hindi they haven't done well i get what you i get what you're saying i get where you're coming from you know what i mean so english is actually becoming a language that unites all of us because it's a language we all converse in it's a language we consume entertainment in it's a language of the internet it exposes it's us to the world us. it exposes us to the anglo sphere which happens to be the most important countries in the world usa canada uh, uk australia new zealand they dictate most of the popular culture and entertainment of the world so yeah even like the nordic countries all speak english now the the the, the dutch speak english like they, they learn dutch they don't they learn their own language and they also speak english They're actually pretty fluent in english so probably france germany etc will never speak english but it gives us access to so much and actually it solves this problem that we've been having because it's a language that benefits us and it's a language that can unite all of us but you will have people making the emotional argument oh it's a language of the colonizer and stuff like that yeah dude there was a <laughs> lot of things we used which came from the british it's not that we yeah. abandoned everything that yeah i mean yeah you won't be like i won't use smartphones just because it's from japan right yeah pretty much i get what you're saying so okay sorry i had to edit this again hold on my laptop battery is dying i have to charge that hold on it's two minutes <laughs> yeah bro no worries macha <clears throat> now i want to i think i think i would love it love one of the things that i want to do with this podcast in season 3 is i want to have panels like i want to have 3 4 3 4 of us together where we discuss one topic in and out like have a round table 
So I would love to invite you for when, whenever we have something that's anthropological, that's driven by looking at humanity as a whole, looking at cultures, looking at cultures from not just a, I want to travel there, but what is the significance of something happening there and my culture? So I would love to do a podcast like that. I think that I, be... I wouldn't use the word anthropology. I'll, I'll just call it surface level observations. Fair enough. Let's call it that surface level. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not an academic, so I can't claim sciencey stuff. <laughs> I understand that. Now I would like to. I would like to now steer the conversation to something a lot more light, a lot more fun. Something that we can end. I think we can. We have another hour-ish left. So let's use the next hour to like just talk about something fun, something interesting. Our passions and interests. things that we like reading watching hearing looking and i want to start off with um, a few things that i know you and me connect on and this is for all the fans who are watching this episode a few things adi and i very strongly connect on one is assassin's creed as you can see that symbol back there uh, it is something i remember adi had played assassin's creed brotherhood or something like that and i told him and he's like it's okay it's a decent game and i'm like bro go fucking play assassin's creed 2 <laughs> and then you went played no, assassin's creed no i played i no. love brotherhood I remember. I played one. Yeah, you played, I played two. I remember. See, I'll tell you. I played one in Paris. Okay, this was the summer before I joined college, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I I discovered Assassin's Creed one there, and I played that. Uh, then Altair. I played Brotherhood. Yeah, then I played Brotherhood. I really loved the game, but I I knew that I had skipped something because when I, when the game started itself, I'm like, yeah, fuck. Okay, I missed. I missed. Another game in between, but I didn't go back to two because I was like, oh, okay, I know where Azio is going to end up, so why would I go back to two? Yeah. So after Brotherhood, I played Revelations, and played AC three, uh, AC Rogue, and then eventually I went back to two, and then two became my favorite game. Yeah, I, no, I think you played two before that because I remember you and me having conversations about AC two, two before in Rogue. college, two before two you, before Rogue. Yeah. You played two before Black Flag. That I'm sure of. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. most certainly. Yeah, yeah. You played two before Black, Black Flag. Damn, Black Flag is actually my favorite AC game now. That's why I was saying you played two before Black Flag. Yeah, but I not... said that just to just to tell the listeners, uh, I haven't played Unity or Syndicate or Odyssey or Origins because I have to upgrade my laptop and I'm not going to do that. I'm waiting for the PS5. I'm going to buy it next year so that it'll be cheaper. This is where you can cut costs. So, when I get the PS5, I will play all of them. <laughs> nice. That's good. Um, I really, I wanna, I wanna see uh, your reactions when you play Unity. The story, the story is. So you know what Unity is, bro. Unity is like Game of Thrones season eight. Best kick-ass production value, but shit story. You know, when I was looking up walkthroughs on uh, YouTube, right? Uh, obviously, there are some people who trash the game, but there are many others who saw tremendous potential in the game. That it had a great engine. It had such yeah. Cool it's new it's features. the be- it's the best Assassin's Creed game. It's the mm. best Assassin's Creed game in terms of parkour and all that. In terms of being a game, UX, UI, the way that everything is built, the engine is flawless. Mm. If they took Assassin's Creed Unity and just made Ezio trilogy on that, it would probably sell ten times more, because it's the most it's the most beautiful environment, the most beautiful 
UI UX. Yeah, I mean, the, it, look, it looks stunning, dude. Yeah, the it's game, the best. It's the best it game stunning. they have made. Yeah, it's the best game they have made. And the but, setting is also really cool. Yeah, the French Revolution. But it's the worst story they have created. One of the worst stories they have created. Damn, but I thought. I mean, from the trailer, I gathered that there's a love story between an assassin and a Templar. It looked pretty cool. Yeah, I remember when I first fucking sent you the Unity trailer with four of them walking in. Both of us Dude, were like, "What is this?" That was like one of this? the best trailers. Yeah. Was, let's trailer watch it. Both let's the trailers. Fucking, let's fucking watch it right now. Do you know what trailer I should put on? Tell Brotherhood. Me. Brotherhood. Have you seen the literal Brotherhood trailer? Which one? AC literally. <laughs> oh Look God, at the birds and people die everywhere. People. Die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at the ships and people die. That's for the name for Black Flag also one. Um, let's watch the yeah. Let's watch Brotherhood first because that Brotherhood kind of builds what happens in. Actually, no. Watch Unity. Watch Unity. It's fine. Which one is it? The one with Arno and Eli- uh, no, Elise. No, no, no. That's her name. No, no, yeah, no, that one. It's the one with four of them uh, taking four of them. the the Bastille. What a trailer, dude! What a trailer yeah. this is. This is eighteen. I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you my favorite shot. Okay. Yeah. The game is just like this. The game is just like this. It's as clean, good, beautiful, and well developed as this. Hear that pirate tone? This is AC, man. This is fucking AC. Okay, so it's it's lagging for me here. So I'll I'll try and tell you which shot. How badly is like lagging? As in just jitters in the stream? No, no. It's like it's. I'm getting a frame every two seconds. Oh. But I can. The audio is fine. Yeah. Even while we sleep. This scene fucking gets to me. Though. So till here, I was like, okay, this is a this is an Assassin's Creed trailer, fucking great. You get a you meet a new guy. The moment the three other guys walk, and I was like, ah! you know? okay, wait, just wait to pause. When they jump, right? Pause. That shot from the top, but you don't expect it's coming. Yeah. And they just jump. My God, what a shot this is! It was so unique because you, I mean, you you expect like some cinematic shots of of the story of the crowd and whatnot, but this was suddenly, really cool. Yeah, suddenly you have an assassin leaping. This one, right? Yeah. All of the the shot of the aerial bird, the aerial yeah. view shot of him jumping. That's the first one. None of this shit. So I'll, I'll break the game down later. 
Feature of running into houses. That smoke bomb is a deadlier weapon than the hidden blade. I use it in revelations a lot. Yeah. Fuck this scene. That's what the assassins are, dude. Fucking work in the shadows, clean up the shit, and make people feel like they did everything. So the thing with Unity, right? It's like it's a game that's got ten times more environmental value than AC Two, but has only ten percent of that story depth in terms of content value. In terms of if AC Unity. AC two, remember how long it was? You go from one city to another city to another city, then finally you fight Chesare, and you're like, "Oh, game is over." And you're like, "No, game is not over. Now is when the game begins, right?" So the thing with Unity is, you do one mission. That one, so how Unity makes you spend your time? It makes you go from one end of the city to the other, mm. and in the middle, it puts side quests. But after a while, it gets so boring. You're like, "Fuck this shit! I'm not doing it." And you just go to the main quest, and you're like, ten hours later, you're like, "Game's over." So oh. yeah. So when when you play AC two, you are going through Ezio with his brother, setting the scene in Venice. Everything's going to be great. Oh, do that, a few tasks for his opening, dude. Yeah. AC two opening. Yeah, you do a few tasks. Climb yeah. on the rooftops and may things be God, as good as always. Make things will be this good oh. always, and may they never change. That's it. So you do the task with those your family. You get used to them. Then they die, and then you spend the entire tirade looking for the culprit, your Pazzi. You kill the Pazzis, and it's like you're in a movie, basically. Yeah, you're you're in you're in a novel of Ezio. Yeah, you're But in a novel. You're in a novel, right? But what happened in AC Unity is they tried to fit the magnanimity magnanimity of Ezio's story, all three trilogies, in one game with ten hours of playtime. So when Ellie dies. I'm pretty sure you're not going to play the game, but when Elise dies, you're like, okay, she died. So what? But then Arno goes into depression for like a good second half of the game. Why? <laughs> Elise was nobody to us, man. We met her in two cutscenes. That's it. And Arno supposedly supposed to be in love with her. Remember how they built the Ezio yeah, Christina so love story? Yeah, basically the guy who the the guy who wrote the story is shit. Yeah, remember how? Or maybe they edited out a lot of the lot of the game, or they maybe they wanted the Possibly. game out so early that they didn't finish a lot of the shit. Like remember yeah, how that could be true. Like remember how much, how much time it took for us to fall in Da Vin Da Vinci in AC two. Yeah. Ezio, my friend, come, come inside. How they make you fall in love with Christina, right? You have to spend time. Ezio, ooh, and then she turns out to be Amerigo Vespucci's daughter, <laughs> right? Yeah. So then, but in dude, in, even Black Flag, you know? Yeah, even the way they build Black Flag. People say Black Flag is more a. 
more a pirate game than an assassin game the story is incredible like yeah. the end when that irish lady starts singing and you see her old friends all of whom are now dead yeah and then you walk uh, i mean edward kenway walks to a, to the ship and a ship docks he, i mean walks to the shipyard and a dock and, and his daughter walks out it's an emotional ending you're like invested in the characters the missions yeah. were you're so you're invested cool. in edway exactly edward yeah kenway. you're you're going from nassau to kingston to havana and he's finding really out cool. you're an assassin finding out that remember the first time you played black flag and you're with the templars and you're like <gasps> remember that dude that black flag is such an underrated game man the music was incredible the scenery the scenery was amazing like you're sailing i could just sail for hours and the i just 90s. keep like fucking up yeah spanish ships and dog boarding them and hunting whales and fuck that was such an incredible game dude right so you see how black flag makes you experience the world as edward kenway unity is like voyeurism you feel like a voyeur throughout you don't really get into the character's psychology a game i appreciate more now is ac3 yeah, ac3 was quite people good. don't really like ac3 but the fact is uh, most of them didn't like connor's character because he was always like angry and stuff like dude yeah. your race is being wiped out and your country is being colonized what did you expect you do you can't yeah. expect that this cheery charismatic playboy like ezio yeah bum got uh, slaughtered by the very men who were supposed to be your father's friends and you saw yeah, it happen so and your you the only you have like two male figures in your life one of them is achilles and the other one is your dad who happens to be a templar who's a guy that you're supposed to kill yeah so and achilles is it's a very like you know what when i saw revenant recently for some reason it reminded me of ac3 i don't know why oh yeah of course the premise alaskan wilderness it's got that raw that raw native american fight for freedom thing right yeah yeah so the game was raw like when you the, the parts where you felt really isolated where when you go back to achilles's mansion there's nobody there dude there's like huge parts of the map where it's just wilderness that's how it was and there's nobody there so it actually captured and the story was actually very emotional when he gets captured and imprisoned and almost gets hung and a lot of shit on and i love the starting of the game you play as hatem and they actually reveal that he's a, a fucking templar and you're like ah like i, I th- appreciate that game way more now the reason i you know you know that always happens right like you will always compare your new girlfriend to the ex that you dated for 5 10 years we dated ezio for like a good what 6 years we dated him and then we were shoved I mean, up with connor nothing nothing's going to match ezio that was like a trilogy <laughs> an amazing character you had like a renaissance italy i mean you're never going to match that yeah it was like it's like godfather 1 no it's like godfather 2 for me godfather 1 i like godfather 1 is a good film i like gf1 more than gf2 and gf3 then oh, okay. subsequently released I like of GF2 course more. the whole i see gf2 as a, like a revelations like yeah i mean gf2 is the thing is you know what gf1 is a plot driven film yeah i would say it's all depending a, on the plot of uh, no i would say again yeah bro right? i would say the it, it has to do with it has to do with the, go ahead, go ahead. uh thanks i think it has to do with uh i think more than a plot it has to do with 
Michael Corleone, right? The entire, like as much as it's about Vito th- for a good 35% in the beginning of the film, and he is the face of Godfather Vito. I think it has to do, I think God, the reason I like Godfather 1 more than Godfather 2 is for the very same reason where you're saying GF1 is plot driven. I find GF2 more plot driven. And I find okay, I'll GF, give you my, okay. Yeah, yeah of course, okay. of course. I'm and, not disagreeing with what you're saying. I'm just saying this is how I feel. I find GF1 more as a character. I love movies that are character studies, wherein I see are a character who starts out as a one man, one kind of person. And at the end of it, he accepts the eventuality of everything and he becomes who it is. Like Ezio starts out as a young, naive man. Oh, I'm going to kill the bad guy. And then he realizes he's a part of this thing called the, the assassins, Templars who've been fighting forever. And you're like, fuck. Same with Godfather one, you know, when... But bro, I, I think exactly the opposite. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I told Whatever you said, huh? Would like to, I'll hear you out, but just huh. two more seconds. So I see that yeah, yeah. GF1 more as like, you know, like you're seeing Michael Corleone, he's coming, he's young, naive. That's my dad. It's not me, K. It's his business. It's not me. I want to make it legit. The entire thing, I see it as like, I see it as a study of Michael Corleone becoming like, he's falling through the seven circles of hell. That's how I see it. It's like, have you seen Mad Men's intro? It's that yeah. silhouette of a man continuously falling. That's how I see yeah. Godfather 1. I see it as Michael Corleone just falling, falling, falling. And you see screens of his family, uh, Connie, his dad, dad's legacy, his brother, Sonny dying early. Those things happening around him, but it's his fall. So yeah, now love to hear you all. It's like, for me, it's exactly the opposite. Like I find Godfather 2 to be a character study because it's like Godfather 2 is the real story. Godfather 1 is the prequel for you to understand how Michael became the Don. And Godfather 3 is the epilogue of what really happens to Michael because there's a trilogy of Michael. So Godfather 1, it all hinges on uh, again, Solozzo coming in to sell drugs. And the story begins when Sonny expresses interest in the deal and Vito's like My children you know, have when a Solo, yeah <laughs> that starts the story because Solozo senses Sunny is interested which is why he tries to whack Vito because if he removes Vito from the picture he can crack a deal with Sunny. Hmm. so it's all plot driven after that it's oh, what do we do with Solozo Michael goes to Italy to hide he comes back then the five families meet to quash the war Watch the beef and Michael gets his revenge and whacks everyone. What a scene, right? Plot. Yeah. Godfather 2 is actually the study of what happens to Michael and, and parallelly, who is Vito? You see Vito from where he comes from, the kid, what he was as a young man. Basically what, uh, what drove Vito him. to become a Don versus what drove Michael to become a Don. And what yeah. And it's, it's the exact opposite because... Vito keeps family in mind. Whereas Michael builds his crime family but loses his real family. Ah, that's a brilliant analogy. I love it. So, Godfather 2, why I like it more is... I mean, Godfather 1 obviously is an exceptional film. It's got the most iconic scenes ever. But for me, Godfather 2 is a character study. It's a character oh, study of Michael. Because I know, I know what you're saying. In Godfather 1, they're reacting to situations outside of them and trying to protect the family. In Godfather 2, he's making real decisions. He's tested as a Don. He's attacked at his home. He has to trust Tom Hagen now. Uh, he decides to whack Fredo. 
uh, he breaks up with uh, Cuba. His, his wife tell yeah cuba then uh, hyman roth hyman roth by the way is uh, based on uh, no, 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 guy, uh, the guy based... from boardwalk empire dude what's his name yeah 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 uh, maya lansky maya lansky maya lansky maya lansky yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a story of Vito, maya lansky is basically frank frank castellano ah He's so basically Frank Castellano. The so the sim. Yeah. So sorry. Go ahead. But I think there's a lag and first this getting the story. Finish. Finish. Finish your no, no. story. So Frank Castellano is like the civilian politician. Sorry, civilian mafia mafioso who had the politicians uh, in his in pocket. In his pocket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Luciano was the founder of them all. Lucky but Luciano, Luciano. then got power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mylanski is basically Hyman Roth. So. so he's dealing with hyman roth so it's a character study of him vegas of michael and yeah and all the and it's also his sister also remember Connie. the start of the show start of the film yeah connie says i'm marrying this guy i don't care what you think i'm leaving but then she comes back at the end she like i need money <laughs> yeah what do you think and of connie as a end. connie's character i mean we let's explore connie's character after you finish your your uh i think uh the film ends with a shot of michael just brooding Yeah. So, I mean it ends with that uh, table director. Yeah. Yeah, basically that. So that's why I like God for the Tumo. Connie. Mm-hmm. I think I, know, I think Connie takes you know uh, she reminds me of my aunts. So so my uh, dad's family uh my dad's dad was like the quintessential patriarch he was like alpha as fuck super stern strict uh who was managing five children and uh, my dad's mom was like a sickly woman so she had a lot of health problems and whatnot and she was a super soft very talented very artistic but a soft sort of submissive person mm-hmm. and um uh, Weirdly enough, both of my dad's sisters, they have that ferocity of their father. I think he was the more imposing personality on them, and I think Connie is the same way. I think she she she's got spunk. She's no she's in no way a quintessential nineteen fifties woman. Hmm. Like she won't take shit from anyone. She was a, she was like a feminist without calling herself the same. Yeah, something like that. I think she takes off the. She gets that strength from Vito. I think that's what yep. it looks like. That was interesting. I think. Absolutely. Right. I think you know what, dude. Godfather should become at least you know like you know how men have initiation rites of now you're a man. You're not a boy anymore. I think yeah. it's like watching Godfather or doing a character study of Michael Corleone in Godfather should be a good like. There's a scene, right? Like the reason I like again, again I'm definitely more biased to GF one because I've watched it maybe hundred more times than GF two, um, and studied it on Reddit a lot more. So this is one scene, uh, one part of GF one. So let me ask you a question before that. When do you think Michael becomes? Um, when do you think Michael knows? he's a gangster first time or he's not afraid to be a gangster you know when he whacks uh, the cop at lusky 
I mean, that's the first sign you see of Michael taking action and actually doing something ballsy. Because mm-hmm. everyone has laughed at him, right? There's yeah. that uh, uh, that uh, iconic scene where he's talking about your your brains all over your Ivy League. Yeah, yeah. I love you. Jimmy Khan. <laughs> Jimmy, yeah, it's a great scene. Even your this guy laughs at him. No, what's his name? The fat guy. Clemenza. Uh, Clemenza laughs at him. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey Lyle. So I think. I think the first is it time... a bit talab talabit talabu something he says na no? funny <laughs> let's watch that scene if we can find it uh michael discusses killing police commissioner uh oh it's a great but dude francis ford coppola is a genius my god no doubt The film that actually blew my mind one of his films was uh, Apocalypse Apoc- Apocalypse Dawn Apocalypse Now what a movie Jesus Christ Is this a scene Yeah yeah They go inside now Oh yeah Michael gets punched now by Michael Yeah yeah Looks like a fortress around here Tamanuch Hey 100 button men on the street 24 hours a day That Turk shows one hair on his ass, he's dead. Hey, hey Michael, come here. Let me look at you. You look beautiful. It's beautiful. Good boy. Hey, listen to this. The Turk, he wants to talk. He got you. Imagine a nerve on his son of a bitch, eh? Craps out last night, he wants a meeting today. It's going to happen much further. Yeah. Mike is right. Let me ask you something. What about this McCluskey? This is when he's becoming the the center of gravity or for his family to revolve around. They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me. One talk, one one. McCluskey, take so much. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me. He uses a slow zoom a lot. Then I'll kill them both. <laughs> Tom Hagen's the only one who knows. Do? Nice college boy, yeah. Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business. Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why? Because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think this is? The army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this. Bada bing! You blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come You're taking us very personal. Tom, this is business and this man is taking it very very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a a, a dishonest cop. A crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got all- So the one scene which not I also answer that question I asked when does Mikey become a don? or when does he know he is going to become a gangster is i think the hospital scene 
where that incident happens and they are both outside that florist and him they're pretending to be guards and just as that car goes away uh the florist whips out his hand and he whips out a cigarette and he's not able to light his thing right and that's when mikey takes the lighter and he lights it for him and he looks out in his hand and he notices he's not shivering this was a oh, character study i saw yeah, this is a character study i remember seeing on reddit like let me see let me see if i can find it michael godfather hospital scene enzo the baker i don't think there's i don't think there's one moment i think the moment where he truly knows so i think he gets into it because he has no other option because when sunny is killed he has to take over yeah but i think he's always had it in him i think he knew he was good enough for the job i can't really point to a single moment where he knew per se i'll show you the scene this is according to me again no i remember the scene i remember all... the scene where they stand outside the hospital and they yeah. pretend like they are guards there's a very symbolic thing where he looks down at his hand and he sees it's not shaking that's when i think he knows i'm going to be the next you know i have to be i have to get involved i'm not afraid Man, shooting a movie like this dude back in the days. See, shaking. Ah, fuck! Just after that, he lights the cigarette for him, and he looks down at his I hand. Remember. And he I remember. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember that scene. Yeah, that scene really gets to me. Like I think you've been watching Gordon Ramsay, huh? No, I've been watching uh, uh, Game of Thrones clips. Uh, like you've seen that. Yeah, recommended. I saw. I saw that that dirty lobster that uh, Gordon Ramsay served. That shitty yellow sauce. Yeah, that was that was awful. Um, do I have any more questions? Do you have any questions for me? I think I'm I'm completely at the end of. We've been at this for two and a half hours now. Did it feel like two and a half hours to you? It didn't to me. No, not really. Yeah, and I uh, and I'm pretty sure we have hundred more things we can talk about still. You know, religion. We haven't even touched base on Christopher Hitchens and religion in this podcast, right? We could end with that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I think yeah. The reason I wouldn't want to end with that, and I'll tell you why. I think it's too juicy of a topic to end with. Like, if we have to get into it, we'll have to talk about the Four Horsemen, Christopher Hitchens, Mother Teresa. Get into no, but I'm things. I'm not going to go into all of that. I have a very different take on it now. Go for it. Use that. Let's let's hear you out as part of the closing. I think uh, I think Hitchens invariably uh, or in in maybe he knew what he was doing. Promoted this kind of sneering atheism. I would look down on religion and treat everybody who was religious as fools. And I think it's part and parcel of this whole rationalist movement i think we were all told you know rational and logic rational and logic it's everything it's actually rationality is actually like double edged such a limitation it's a, it's a limitation because um logic is based on what humans know and logic can be wrong like for a caveman it's not logical that even like before a caveman discovered fire it's not logical that you take two stones and like rub them against each other you'd get fire it's yeah. not logical because he didn't know it yeah i get what you're so, saying so 
the way hitchens approaches religion the way dawkins approaches religion is like a very dismissive like i ah, fuck off who needs the shit they i think they very rightly attack some of the superstitious bullshit that got into religion hmm. and some of the nonsense that the clergyman did and what the bureaucracy of the church did but religion actually is it's like a it's like a treasure trove of everything humans try to study there's so much philosophy there there's so much like truth there and yeah i get what you're saying people people the hitchens and dawkins like you to believe that religious thinkers of the past were all dumb fucks actually no the most scholarly people were religious people and they had plenty of debates about god and whether yeah. god existed and what not i understand where they're coming from where they it's the bureaucracy to... that sucks but not the individuals who are in pursuit of religion yeah i understand where they're coming from yeah. the tribal nature of religion and they're arguing against that but like there's a feminist author called camille camille paglia who i follow is one of the og feminists camille paglia uh, yeah i think i'm saying her name right i don't know maybe it's paglia and g is silent <laughs> she's one of the og feminists like fucking amazing woman <laughs> she has a very different take she has the same take as maybe jordan peterson does that there's actually tremendous value in religion and leaving the hokey stuff aside because obviously we're reading what minds 3 4000 years wrote so obviously not all of it will live up but there's so much eternal truth like for example dude in 12 rules right i'm pretty sure you've read 12, 12 rules for life no i haven't Jordan Peterson Jordan no, I'm Peterson's not I'm not finished yeah. it no no I'm not finished it There's this fucking chapter I mean the first chapter of the book where he discusses how obviously it's an idea it's not like uh ascertained and verified but the story of Adam and Eve and the apple the reason for example that we use the snake as the devious creature is because when we were apes our primary predator was a snake and we saw snakes that way which is why uh in a story the snake is used as the metaphor because probably that's what our ancestors used correct i get what you're saying it's it's symbol it's symbolism driven narratives as opposed to face value yeah. accepting it at it's, face value it's yeah it's uh, it's archetypical stories got it with archetypes and symbolism that contain way more truth but is but is a form of uh information dissemination that incorporates music it incorporates literature and incorporates art and incorporates architecture so when i saw that perspective you actually sort of realize how shallow hitchens at least and i don't think I, i mean i refuse to believe that hitchens didn't see any value in religion at all but the the messages he put across in his books etc as sort of this fact checker of religion like as if like you know a lot of theologians the sophisticated theologians they don't believe the shit that hitchens claims religion religious people believe like these debates unfortunately are not open to the public but sophisticated theologians don't see adam and eve as a literal story obviously correct correct for them it's it's story. it's all it's all symbolism right it's like how when Yeah. Um, when I tell you something like you know, like life is like a flower, you either water the flower or you let it dry and it dies. That does not literally yeah. mean that life is a fucking flower. It's a symbolism. Similarly, no, like, 
the idea that god of god that john peterson proposed in his book which is very interesting to me and there's a lot of people propose this idea is that god is the ideal archetype and the reason the bible is arranged in a certain way is you have genesis which is creation and the story that immediately follows is one of cain and abel sorry one of adam and eve and finding their uh, innocence or uh, letting go of their innocence rather and then you have cain and abel so it's like what the bible is telling you or these writers of the bible or howard has compiled the people who compiled it the, the council of is, the council of nicaea whoever yeah so they are telling you what they are trying to tell you is uh true morality is something that let me try and phrase this um take your time dude you're not you're not truly moral if you're harmless you're not like, truly hmm that makes a lot of sense yeah pacifism is uh pacifism is not morality yeah it is you have yeah. to be you need to be equipped with the skill to do harm when Correct. to protect yourself but you abstain from from it harming people that yeah. is true morality so you're not you're not good like, if you you're not good if you're a pussy who can't punch someone but you're a good who you know you can bully everyone but you choose not to do it because you know that's yeah. not the right way out so it's a bit like you know how child's morality children are very nice because they're innocent and they don't nothing else but that's not true morality you have to go out in the real world which is why adam and eve lose their innocence and that's when they discover and the only way to discover who you truly are and to gain enlightenment or nirvana whatever it is is to lose your innocence travel the path of danger and the dark learn how truly immoral you can be and only when you back. know how truly immoral you can be you can come back yeah. something like that mm. and the, and it's arranged in, in the and the bible is arranged in that way so there are a lot of truths in religious stories even indian religious stories the mahabharata Absolutely. is the greatest thing ever written that you can just like ah what are dismissed as just religion bro fuck it even a lot of the uh the rituals we do right it's based out of Hinduism, some sort of practice you know it, it it can be even purely whimsical that has no scientific benefit which is fine but it's done to evocate the senses what is life without whimsy after all <laughs> yeah i mean netflix you know, is netflix example, and chill is as whimsical as doing puja yeah. think about it for example going to sunday on a church forever and ever you had human beings dedicating one day of the week going congregating in a specific spot and listening to sermons about morality where they reflect on what they've done they think about morality they think of how they can improve themselves as human beings yeah and it's it's a communion that is that is that happened so if you just say fuck religion you're losing all of that it's actually a great practice whether you want to do it in a church or a normal building it's a great practice to have it is, so now yeah. you have support support groups and all these other things it's basically society Religion, trying yeah. to cope because rather than surgically removing what doesn't work in religion and updating it and taking all the good things from it they just like like a tide they just wash it aside you know what i, I mean i get i get i totally so, get what you're saying instead of instead of see, learning from it i don't it, see that depth I don't see that depth in Dawkins and Hitchens anymore. It's great, yeah. Dawkins and it's like how you said, no, no. Dawkins and Hitchens is great if you have been someone. It's a gateway. Been, 
it's a gateway to understanding yeah. your own view on religion but it's a very shallow gateway it's a very shallow gateway where you even i was that guy like in college remember both of us we were like very for this sneering atheist who would like look down on religious people and think they're stupid but it's not that it's not that simple so obviously far more complicated correct and kamil paglia for example she stresses on teaching world religion to students as just a subject you need to learn world religion you need to learn where symbols come from how cultures saw things how cultures see morality differently how they view men and women and their roles and religion is just culture essentially correct before it was taken over by these clergymen who then started to dictate what should be taught and what should be hidden religion was essentially science it was trying to explore subjects it was trying I to explore different things you know what i mean correct and i so totally agree with you of religion yeah yeah and i totally right. agree with you i think that at one point of time when if you look back at the cultural significance of why the council of nicaea like i mentioned emperor constantinople emperor constantine was like i want to reunite all these different like how the fathers of the india united us under mm-hmm. india with one language or a bunch of languages and one currency or one cur- bunch of currencies should drive everything going forward similarly that's exactly what religion was i mean if you have 50 different people doing 50 different things every day those 50 people together collectively are not going to get anywhere but put a sort of religious imposition tell them this is how to live life abstain from this do that i mean think about it from this point of view right have you watched uh, you watched rick and morty i'm sure yeah you've seen that rick and morty episode gazorpazop when they go to that planet with that morty sex bot no no you sure you know what's that episode where they go to a planet with those four-headed monsters and all the women no, no. are so basically I've recently started watching it I've finished the first season Cool so let me let me let me give speak from an anthropological point of view right and we can probably end our podcast with this one it's just a question maybe we can end with this Middle Eastern women you know how beautiful they are you've seen how amazingly gorgeous you are so now go back let's go back to the nomadic days of the primitive cultures you're in a desert You're, you have women who are as beautiful, if not, I mean, beautiful for those times at least. Now, imagine if you don't impose some sort of religious sacrament to a violent group of men living in the desert who are driven by violent tendencies and impulses, because they are nomadic tribes at that point of time, right? They're war with each other, they'll kill each other. How do you stop them from fighting? Impose a fucking religion and put them all under that. How do you stop them from endlessly yeah, yeah, doing things? Much. How do you stop them from becoming excessively driven by? Im- Again, I don't find things immoral, but what religion says is immoral, like excessive drinking, excessive adultery, excessive eating. Religion is just to—it's religion should not be uh, a way of religion should not be. Um, it should not be that you have to do this, but rather these are guidelines of if you want to go from A to B. Yeah, I mean, you could do these things yeah. to get from A to B. I mean, see, listen, they lived in simpler times back then, so it was a little more black and white because. If you see, if you see Maslow's hierarchy of survival, right? It's evolved. Most of the human race, yeah. I mean, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, rather. Most of the human race was that survival. So, if you don't have even order in your society, you die. You get wiped out. So, yeah. And obviously, those things would be more black and white then. And obviously, humans back then didn't know as much as they do. They know now. And I think the most important reason why religion was used was because you didn't have mass communication devices. one common belief yeah if you, if they had the internet back then 
you could disseminate information to each family but you couldn't do that correct and also if you just look at how uh, religion works especially with the viking con, con with the vi- with the background of looking at vikings i mean if you look at their culture it's driven by they don't have text right you know that viking culture is driven by stories and ruins and mostly your weapons and their conquests so and whatever we know of viking stories are actually stories that were written by the britons about these invaders who came on their ships with their horned skulls and stuff. no but they have the the epic of ragnar and all that Those were, written, those were written by his men after they were in england the norsemen by themselves don't have a language and culture it's only once they came to europe and started intermingling here that they no, started they have a language dude no but they, they didn't. i don't think they wrote things down but they used to sing them um, they had a language yes 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 let me repeat myself they didn't have a script they had ballads they had they ballads didn't a, of... they didn't have a script probably not yeah they had languages not a script so what i want to say basically is like the whole concept of religion was introduced for that these men will not be afraid of fighting the concept of valhalla they look forward to death right in, in fact if you have watched the first two seasons of vikings it's very strongly uh, suggested that the reason these guys are winning their battles is because they're not afraid of death because they look forward to death because of valhalla as a concept yeah. so religion was yeah. pushed to them to make them fight and become super soldiers right no but i don't know about uh, their religion wasn't as organized back then because what the vikings believed in was pagan stuff and pagan stuff just evolved from from bottom up christianity and all took it to a whole new level christianity and christianity became like this bureaucracy with the church Correct. and rules and clergymen and had a hierarchy of uh, uh what they called papacy the papacy hierarchy yeah. of papacy yeah. and all of that so pagan religions were not organized which is precisely why hinduism was not organized probably why called. i don't like that. probably don't why like they didn't, yeah probably why they yeah. didn't fight with each other over religion as much it's because they did not have they did not treat it as an absolute it was like stories and yeah, narratives exactly. and concepts for them yeah precisely yeah something like that fuck yeah i think we've done a incredible podcast so far i'm so happy like yeah. we did this so we did this much without even uh flinching so aditya thank you so much thank you so much for being part of season 2 episode 2 as you can see over there with the assassin's creed symbol i look at you as a fellow assassin of mine and i look at you as someone who i know for a fact tomorrow day after if i probably get a very someone on this show who probably i know you would also like to interview both of us will be interviewing that person i see it like that probably if we could get imagine if we get ben shapiro on anwar romanik's early night show with you and me <laughs> interviewing ben shapiro right so that's what that's how Remember i see this nothing is true nothing is true everything, everything is, permitted. is permitted exactly nothing is true everything yeah. is permitted that's that's my insta bio <laughs> nothing is true and one guy actually texted me dm me it's like my friend you have the assassins logo as your motto <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah! Glad you spotted that. Glad you spotted. I think yeah, we are all assassins on our core. We are fighting the system. We are fighting the general narrative thrown at all of us. I'm pretty sure you have your own opinion, your own view on the COVID pandemic that's happening. Whether you want to call it a pandemic or a pandemic, I completely understand. So, thank you so much, Ajay. China, China. <laughs> China. Let we're gonna have another podcast. So I'm telling you, I can already visualize yeah. a part to do this happening. Thank you Aditya. Thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you Adi for being part yes. of this. Uh it was great. I hope I hope you had a fun time because uh, at the end of the day it's Yeah. 
Awesome. I want you have to to have fun as much as I do. So thank you so much for the audience who have joined us. Thank you guys. You guys have been fantastic. If you've stayed for so long, then you know you're a fucking absolute genius. You're an assassin yourself. Request Katin Pache to you if you've stayed with us for so long. And thank you for joining us. I look forward to seeing you in the third episode of season two. That's going to be with another host. I mean, another guest, the same host, and with a bunch of new stories. So looking forward to that one as well. Thank you so much for joining in, guys. Until the next episode. Bye bye. Adios.